Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4. As you should be well aware of by now, we've been coming through the book of Proverbs uh, verse by verse, and it's been a great uh, time for all of us, I think. I know I've certainly enjoyed it, and I've, from what I get feedback from many of you, it's, it's made a lot of difference in your life and helped you with things. And uh, last time, uh, I showed you how that we were going to break uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 19 down into two sections, and we looked at section 1 last week, uh, verses 10 and 19. And hopefully you saw the value, and this is what the first part of this section was. It was the value of taking God's instruction in the form of wisdom and and, uh, understanding. And I showed you last time, you remember, the number one issue of why God's people, and this is so true, they can spend their whole lives in church, and yet you'll see that their families, uh, their marriages, their kids, their lives, uh, their whole world and everything in it is just a total disaster. It never ceased to amaze me all the years that I've looked at that and seen it. And we also saw the aspect of how because God does love us, that He will, uh, in many cases, try to get our undivided attention by bringing the trials of things into our lives that force us to look back toward the Word of God and to Him. And we saw the cause of all this is simply one little phrase found in verse 10. And this is why people can go to church all of their lives and go to thousands of church services, and yet nothing ever changes. The families are go down the tube. They lose their kids. They lose their marriage. They lose all of the things in their life simply because they hear the Word of God, but they're not willing to receive the Word of God. And that means application into your life. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, we have the great parable of the sower, one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, parables in the Bible. And it's a picture of sowing the Word of God. And the Bible says a sower went out to sow. And the seed that he sows, you know, is a picture of the Word of God. And when you read that down through there, you find out uh, a great illustration of three ways how the Word of God gets rejected uh, when somebody hears it. And when he comes down through there, he talks about that some seeds fell by the wayside. And, of course, that <clears throat> suggests to anybody who can read it that you've dealt with people for any length of time that there's always a carelessness with many people when it comes to the Bible. You see it when you try to win people to Christ. They don't see the urgency of it. You know, they'll talk about, well, you know, I'm still young. I got the rest of my life to live. I don't want to think about dying and going to eternity yet and get the first man that dies in the Bible is a young person. People don't see that. They take a careless approach. You know, well, I'm not ready yet, preacher. You know, I'm just not ready to live it, and I'm not ready to commit to it, and we see it all the time. <clears throat> so yeah, that's true of Christians, too, because I've seen Christians that get saved, and they're thankful that God saved them, but they just want to keep <clears throat> part of their life to themselves. And they never, never, ever get to the point where they ever see the urgency of why God saved them. So some seeds fall by the wayside. And then it talks about that some seeds fell on ground and a thorn sprung up and choked them. And, of course, the thorns in that particular story uh, can be a picture of your own problems in your life that you're not willing to turn over to God. But let's face it, also can be uh, the people you hang out with and you associate with. You hear me say it a thousand times that you are who you hang out with. And you see that uh, in that great uh, story there that that's why some people never grow. They're not willing to make the break with the people that need to make the break. And the devil knows that in your life and my life, in many cases, if not all the cases, we don't make that break, we ain't going anywhere. 
and it just becomes a, a problem where the thorns shake the Word of God right out of your life. And then it talks about the stony places. That'll be your heart. That'll be your hardened heart. That'll be where it can't penetrate because of your hardened. And you know, when we think of somebody with a hardened heart to the Word of God, we actually think that we're talking about somebody that's like a three-headed monster with hunchback, you know, that sloughs around in the darkness. But I want to tell you something. Some of the sweetest, dearest people I've met in my life over the years, some of the nicest people, sweetest people that you ever met in your life have some of the hardest hearts you ever found when it comes to that Bible. It's not about just wicked people who people. Uh, some of the people I've met with hardened hearts have been in church all of their life. They claim to know a lot about the Bible, but you can't teach them anything, see? They come to a point in their life where they, they got their own. The, Bible's not, the Bible for them is not for an offense to take it to people. The Bible for them is a defense where they can build a little wall around themselves, and, you know, and that's, that's what they do, and they just won't receive it. So they can't take it. The Word of God will never take root in their life, as it says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 6. And, uh, and that's why things never change. And that's why you find people that go to church, they're Christian, they, 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 they talk about God, they have a Bible, they even read their Bible. But they lose their marriage, they lose their kids, they lose their families, they lose everything, and their life is always in turmoil. And it simply goes back to that simple, fundamental principle that it isn't about hearing the Word of God, it's about receiving it and applying it. Now, I didn't do this last week, uh, but I, I had some other things I wanted to say in the time that I had. But I want to show you a Bible definition of receiving. I think that's important that you, you get that. You know, uh, for a moment, I want you to turn over to 2 John chapter 1, uh, verse 10. And here it says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine and this will be the doctrine of Christ in the context of verse 9. It says, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Now, all my ministry, all my life, I've had people come up and ask me about that verse, if that when Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons come to your house, you should let them in. And they're afraid that they're violating this principle by letting them come in the door and stand into your, into your house. Well, whether you let them in or not is up to you. Uh, I think you can deal with them very well on the, on the front porch without getting them in. Not that they're probably going to do anything, but, uh, um, you know, it's always easier to chase them off your porch than it is to chase them out of your house. But I, I have a few techniques that will get them out of your house so fast you won't know what happened. But anyway, that's not what it's talking about. But all my life I've heard, well, you know, the Bible says you should not receive people into, their, into your home. So when the Jehovah Witnesses come, I, I'll never let them in the house because I want to violate, I don't want to violate that principle. Well, that's not what it's talking about. In the Bible, a couple of good examples is that when you receive somebody into your house, you, your house becomes their house. Make yourself at home, we say. Can I get you something to drink? Well, you're hungry. Would you like this? We'd like that. A great example of that is Genesis chapter 18 with Abraham when the angels, the two angels and the Lord show up there. He brings them in, kills the fatted calf, does everything for them and brings them all the stuff that they need. And uh, it's very obvious that he's holding nothing back. He has received them into his house. Uh, you know, we, we see it again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Uh, where uh, Paul gives the admonition to the church there at Philippi uh, for Ap uh, Epaphrodites. 
and he says, he's my brother. He says, he's my companion. And he says, he's my, my co-laborer. He's my, he's my fellow soldier. He said, he's a messenger. He's a minister. And Paul commands him to this church. And in verse 29, he says to this church, receive him, see, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. So receiving the instructions of the Word of God and, and, and you getting them into your life is a lot uh, the same way. You receive it with gladness. And so when you receive somebody, it's not the fact that you're letting somebody into your house that maybe you don't agree with or, with, or on your front porch, but it, it's, it's receiving it with gladness based on your relationship with God. So in the Bible, you need to understand when it talks about me receiving you into my house or me into your house, it's basically sit wherever you want. If you want something to eat, good. If you need something to drink, whatever, you know, mine is yours. And you receive that person with gladness. Well, when you receive the word of God, which the Bible says, which you heard of us, the Bible says you receive it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God. You just receive it with gladness. And you, and you do something with it. Now, let's go back to chapter 4 and look at, uh, I'm going to read the whole passage again just so we get a context of what we did last week, but our message this morning will pick up in verse 14. And it says, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. Where thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. And we covered all this last week. So now we're going to pick it up in verse 14 today. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it, and pass away. For, thy sleep, for they sleep not, except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away, unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Now, Father, thank you for this great passage today and uh, the great lessons that are found herein. And may we uh, develop them today and uh, take it, not just hear it, but apply it to our own hearts and our own lives and Lord, we'll love you and thank you now and praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, as sake we ask it, amen. Now, what we have here in, these two, in this passage is a contrast. That's one of the great ways that God teaches us the Bible. One of the single greatest attributes that God uses in the Bible to teach us is by contrast. You don't go very far in the Bible that you see that it's light versus darkness. That's a contrast. You don't go very far before you see it's good versus evil. That's a contrast. You don't go very far before you see it's God and the devil. That's a contrast. In our Christian life, you don't go very far before you find out that it's a life with Christ and following God's instructions and a life without God's instructions and following the world. That's a contrast. That's what he's doing here. Verses 10 through 13 is one contrast and verse 14 through 19 is another. One is a life of principles and God's instruction that leads us to wisdom and understanding versus a life of doing it our way and all the things that get added to it that wind up causing us so many problems and destroying us. Now look at verse 14. It says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. You know, how many times growing up have we all heard the phrase, the path of life? 
You know, I can remember, uh, you know, when I graduated, and May and June is always our graduation month. Tens of thousands of kids will graduate from high school and college. But even in the high school, you know, in college, they have what they call commencement exercises. All the family comes there. Everybody goes up and gets their diploma. And then they have a speaker. That speaker preaches on the commencement uh, and, and, and what's going to take place. And what he does, almost without a doubt, you can bet on it, is he'll, the commencement service and the speaker will always be about the path of life. It'll be about where do you go from here. It'll be about the success that you want to make of your life. It'll be about the goals that you should set. It'll be about the careers that you should follow and pursue. It'll be about attitudes that you have going out into the workforce or going to college or about the motivation that it takes to succeed. Many times the guy that speaks will be somebody who made his own life and made his own way. And uh, they use them as motivational speakers to really try to get young people coming out of high school and out of college and give them a direction on the path of life. But, you know, I've looked at that many, many times and thought about it over the years. In reality, there may be many different jobs and careers and things that we all can do that make it look like there's a million paths of life, and that's what the devil really wants to do. But the truth of the matter is, there's only two paths in life, really. Only two. Uh, there's the, there, from a Bible standpoint, there's a path of righteousness, and then there's a path of unrighteousness. And that's all there is. And in life, no matter what you decide your career is going to be, no matter where life journey takes you, you'll simply be on one path or the other. And last week I told you about the two choices that man has. An unsaved man only has two choices. He's going to choose to go to heaven or he's going to choose to go to hell. When a saved person, once he makes that choice to go to heaven, then he has two choices or she has two choices. And we're all faced with it. And it's simply, uh, I'm going to go God's way or I'm going to continue to go my way. And you might go God's way for a little while once you get saved, but then, you know, you learn how to play the game. There's things in your life that you don't want to go past, uh, but yet you still want to be a Christian. You still want to go to church. You still want to pretend with everybody. So you learn how to play the game. But there are certain areas in your life that you know you're not going to go past. And God knows that. And everybody else knows it too, but it's like it's our little secret, you know, our little secret. And in life, no matter uh, what your career is or where life journey takes you, you'll simply be on one path or the other. And life is only about choice. And there's only two. Now, in the Bible, there's certain numbers that mean certain things. And I know you can prove anything with numbers. And I'm certainly not one of those guys who get, you know, to the point where everything has a meaning and you try to plot the whole world out based on a numeric system. But I do know that in the Bible, there's certain numbers that do mean certain things. And you'd be well to learn those. Uh, and in the Bible, the number two always stands for division. Always stands for division. Uh, the first time you find that in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. It's the first time you find the word divide. And the Bible says that God divided the light from the darkness. That's the first time you find And from that point on, number two in your Bible is going to be about division. In Genesis chapter 2, when God wanted to take Adam and give him a wife, he divided his side and brought out the woman. Picture of Christ dying on the cross and the church coming forth. You see it in everything you do. When you got saved, before God could ever give you eternal life, you know what he had to do in your life? He had to divide you. He had to divide your soul from your flesh. 
And before God could ever give you eternal life, he had to divide. And that's pretty true down through the whole Bible and the concept. As a Christian, before God can ever do anything in your life, he's got to divide you from the world. It's just that simple. After you get saved, God divides your, your Colossians chapter 2, your flesh from your soul. Now you're a schizo. You're a psychiatrist's dream. You got an old nature and a new nature. You got two people inside of you. One wants to do right, one wants to do wrong. You know what those two natures try to do? They try to divide you. That's what they do. I mean, it's just the way it works in the Bible. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, he said, I didn't, I didn't come to bring peace. He said, I came to divide. And truthfully, there'll be no peace in our life till some things get divided out. Remember down there in Genesis chapter 18, when the two angels went down there to Lot, 18 and 19, and you know what they did when they showed up? They divided Lot from his family. Sometimes the Word of God will divide you from your family. Sometimes it will divide you. It, it, that's what it does. Because the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't. You can't. That's why it's so vital that when you marry somebody, you don't marry an unsaved person. You're already into a divided scenario that will never work. By the book of Proverbs itself, we've been studying it, is about a wise man and a foolish man. And they, they'll never get those two together. They're divided. The book of Proverbs is about a foolish, a virtuous woman and a whorish woman. And they'll never get together. You know why? Because God divided them. So when a Christian chooses to take the path of righteousness, he gets divided from the world. And then at that point, he should cease to follow the world's instruction and now follow God's instructions by receiving it into his heart. Now look at the last part of verse 14. And go not in the way of evil men. Remember last week I told you about the key word there, the word way, the way of wisdom in 4.11. I told you that the word way was a, a complete total lifestyle of living by the principles of the Word of God, a way of life. And I ran it back to the Old Testament nation of Israel and showed you the example how their culture was. But it's a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a way of living uh, by the principles of the Word of God that will affect and impact every area of your life. Now look at verse 14, the way of evil men. See, when you won't take God's instruction and you start to take somebody else's instructions in time, you'll have a total corrupt lifestyle of the world's way of life. And yet you may stay in church all your life. You know, I found that the worst kind of corruption is not the outward corruption. The, first, the worst kind of sin is not the outward sins. The worst kind of sins are the inward sins, the ones that we harbor inside and pretend it's all right. And those are the ones that come back and get us. Psalms chapter 1 is one of my favorite passages, the first four verses, but I'll just... Quote the first verse for you. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way, way, in the way of sinners, you see, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And uh, I, I've told you before that, that that's a progression. The moment you stop walking with God, you start walking with the world. The moment you stop growing forward, you start going backward. And the moment you stop growing forward, you stop walking with God. And the moment you stop walking with God, you start going backward and walking with the world. Blessed is the man that walketh. Uh, blessed is the man that walketh, not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, do you see that verse? 
He's just not walking with the ungodly. You see that? He's walking in the advice of the ungodly. He's walking in the counsel of the ungodly. When you stop taking your instructions from your preacher, the Bible, and God, then you're going to start taking your instructions from somebody else. Now, when it's not in the Bible context, then it's going to be in the world's context, and there's going to be a progression. You start out walking with them, then you start standing with them. Now you're in the way, see? It's a lifestyle being developed. You started to get into their counsel and take and listen to them instead of what is being preached to you. Now it's affected you to the point where you're not just walking with them. Now you're standing with them over here. And then the last thing is, he says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now you're sitting in among them. Now that's the answer why so many of God's people can start out loving church, going to church, loving the Bible, loving you, loving everybody, and then wound up hating everybody in church, hating the church, and hating the Word of God. A process. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. But it's a process. And it's a process. And just as last week, you don't stop growing spiritually the right way. When you start going backwards, you don't stop growing spiritually the wrong way. You don't just get to the point where in your Christian life when you're growing right that you just get to a point and you say, okay, I made it now. It's always moving forward. We think because we get out of fellowship, you know, and don't do what's right that we're just over here in left field someplace and we'll stay in left field. That nothing, that's just where we're at. No, you're wrong. Just as moving forward spiritually, you're going to move backwards unspiritually. And you're going to find that it becomes a way of life for you. Just like the Christian life becomes a way of life, a wife in the world becomes a way of life for you. And it compounds. Just as you grow and get all the blessings of God, you, de- you don't grow and you regress and you get all of the crap that goes on in the world. And it's called compounding. I've had people, I, I think of one kid in mind that for about four or five years, and this has been probably, oh, I'd say, I haven't heard from him for probably six years, but I'd say probably before that, he'd call me almost every year for about four years running. Every year he'd have a mental, spiritual breakdown that he knew he wasn't doing right. He was into drugs, he was into alcohol, he was in all of those things, and he'd call me up, you know, and it'd always be a Saturday night sometime, you know, around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, he'd be boo-hooing all over the place, you know, and he'd be talking about how bad his life is and how he needs to get back, and he knows he's not doing what's right, and I'd try to help him, and it'd last for about a week, two weeks, maybe three weeks, you know, and he'd be, and then next year it'd be all again, and then the next year, you know, it'd be the same thing. I think it went on for two or three years. I haven't heard from him now for probably six years. You know why? Because he doesn't care anymore. Now, before it was something that bothered his conscience, now it doesn't bother him anymore. Before it was something that he struggled with, now it's something that he enjoys. Now, there was a time when he knew that the other lifestyle was, the other way of life was the right way. Now he's completely lost that concept and the way of unrighteousness is now his way. Doesn't call anymore. And both his parents were Christians. Been in church all of their lives. All of their lives. You know what happens? The longer you stay out on that path of unrighteousness, the more it compounds in your life. Now, I know what we all do. 
But every three months, if you have any kind of investment, you get that big statement from, from the investment company. And they'll tell you what you started with the last quarter, and they'll tell you what you have this quarter. It's better off if you just burn them and then wait and find out when you retire because you don't get a heart attack. But you open that up and you want to see. I had, I had $6,000 last time it closed. Woo! I got $9,000 now. The money that you invested, somebody out there took and made the right investments and compounded the thing, and now you started with five, you got nine. Hopefully next quarter it'll be 12. That's what sin does, just in the reverse. You'll get a quarterly statement from God. And that quarterly statement will show you how that sin has compounded in your life. Now it just isn't this anymore. Now it's this with about 20 other things added. Except you're going the wrong way. You're making the wrong investments. It starts out walking with the counsel of the ungodly and then standeth in the way. And then pretty soon you can't tell you, a child of God, from the world. And yet many times all my life I've heard them justify it. Well, who who are you to tell me what is right in my life or what isn't? I've heard them say, well, you don't know my circumstance or my situation. I heard their mom and dad make every excuse for their worldly kids you have ever heard in your life. I've heard them just list them off. I could sell you the answers so when your kids grow up and don't want you right, you don't have to look for them. I've heard them all my life, the baloney that parents put out trying to justify the sins that their kids are in. And everybody will justify it, but I got news for you. Proverbs 14, 12 says, Yes, there is a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It may look good to you. You may want to paint it off as being good, but it's going to catch up with you sooner or later. Now, you've heard me say so many times about association and the people who we hang out with, and I'm sure, I'm sure many of you are sick of it. But you must take heart, take note, that I only preach on it when it comes up in the Bible. It is not my fault that it keeps coming up in the Bible. Because I'm going to tell you, the number one issue for you and me as the child of God is you are who you associate with. Now, and I don't get it. I don't get, I don't get parents today. I really don't. I, mean, I don't get it. I see parents looking at their... I mean, I don't get it. I, I just don't. I, 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 I see parents who, who they got kids that are 8, 9, 10, 11... And uh, they go to school someplace or they're, you know, in their area. And there's kids that those parents won't let those kids associate with. That little girl, your little daughter will come up or the little boy will come up and say, Mommy, can I spend the night over at so-and-so's house? And you'll say, no, I don't think that's a very good idea. You don't want your child going into that association with what's going on in that family. I get it. I understand it. There's kids, I mean, when our kids were growing up, there were, there, were, there were certain things our kids, people, they couldn't associate with. And they couldn't be part of. And I, I understand that. But my point is this. What makes you think it's any different when you become a new babe in Christ Jesus? Amen. I'm going to tell you something, kids. There's some people out there that will hurt you. Save people. They'll hurt you. I, I, I mean, you expect it from the world. You expect the world. You get fooled. You see, you expect the world to hurt you. You expect the world to deceive and lie to you. 
You expect the world to live in sin. The problem today is that 95% of God's people, you can't tell them from the world. So a young Christian gets into it, sees people out there, and they think, wow, they must be Christians, they must be great, just like your kid sees all the kids that are his age and says, because we go to the same school, they must be okay when they're not. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Now look at verse 14 and 15. Look at 14. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of the evil men, of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Now God has given us here, I don't know if you how you look at things in the Bible. When I first saw that years ago, I thought, wow, that's a great sermon. There's, there are six great admonitions here that form great points for all of us. And if you want to learn how to, how to keep sin out of your life and get it, stay on that path of righteousness instead of the path of unrighteousness, if you want to learn how to do that, these six things will do it for you if you just receive them. Now, the first thing he says here is, 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 in verse 14, is enter not into the path of the wicked. Now, let's just take it, enter not. Now, I'm going to talk that talk about for another minute. Enter not. All sin will be a door of opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm 63 years old. I know I don't look it. I'm 63 years old. I can't think of one time sin ever snuck up on me. I can't think of one time in my life that sin ever just surprised me. I, I can't think of one time in my life that I was just the innocent victim and sin just descended on me. Every time in my life, I saw sin as an opportunity, as a door. And I think when you get into the Word of God and you learn the principles of the Word of God, You'll understand that sin always presents itself as an opportunity. And just as we should learn to recognize the doors of opportunity that God gives us, we need to learn to read and see the opportunities that sin presents to us and then enter not in. Like I said, there's never been a time in my life that I didn't know what I was about to do, even while I was doing it. I think the great example of that is Adam and Eve. We talk about in the Bible, it says that she was deceived, and she was. But the deception wasn't a total deception, was it? Because she had already been told by God what he told her about that tree and about that fruit. It wasn't like that the devil just snuck up and she never had the truth. Well, I don't know how long they were in that garden. I'd say if you want to make a stab at it, I'd say probably three and a half years. But that's just my wild guess based on what I know a little bit about the Bible. But I know this, no matter how long they was there, I know that they had Bible studies with God every afternoon in the cool of the day. And so I know she heard it over and over again. And when the devil showed up to try to get her to do what he wanted her to do, he didn't deceive her totally. He just presented an opportunity to her that was different than the opportunity that God had given her. And she walked right through the door. All he had to say to a woman is, babe, you take this and you'll know. And she bought into it. 
Woody, I want one of these things up here that when I can push a button, it says laugh. You know, like they got on a TV thing. It was a conscious choice. I mean, I know she was deceived because she was the weaker vessel. I understand all that. But it wasn't like he just descended on her. She had heard the truth. And she made a conscious choice. When she heard, when the devil laid it out, wow, well, this, you're going to be like the gods. He applied to everything that she should have known was an opportunity to sin based on what God had told her. And then Adam, huh. the woman was deceived in a partial thing, but boy, we don't have a thing. Oh, Adam walked in there. He, he, he says, Eve, what happened to you? You're kind of red brown. You're not snow white anymore. You get a poison apple? Who are those seven little guys I saw running out of here? Were they the seven dwarfs? Eve, you're not Snow White anymore. You're, you're, you're red brown. What happened? She says, well, she says, I ate of that fruit. He says, you ate the fruit? She says, I did. He says, and honey, she, she, but God told us not to. Yeah, but I met the most beautiful stranger man down on the road down there, and he told me what it all was, and I'll tell you what, I just couldn't help myself. I mean, this was the greatest stuff in the world. He told me. He said, you know what? I told him what God had, but he told me that uh, uh, that wasn't what the original said, and a better rendition would be. Now, Eve looks at her. She says, and I brought some for you. Adam looked at her, looked at God, looked at her, looked at God, looked at her, looked at God, and said, I'll see you, God. And he chose the hour of opportunity. Sin always is going to present itself as an opportunity. Your job and my job through the Word of God is to recognize the opportunities that God gives us to serve Him and then recognize the opportunities that the devil brings in this world to mess us up. Go through the one door, stay out of the other one. Now, let me show you the number second, number two, second one here. Go not in the way of evil men. Now, the next one will be go not in. Now, here's the, here's, here's the decision-making process that when you see the opportunity, you don't go through the door of opportunity to not do right. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. I, I, I teach you guys about responding and reacting. The greatest example I can show you about this is one that guys will all understand if you're married, and that is when you have a fight with your wife. Something happens, and you get into a conflict. And the, the easiest scenario is probably the most scenario. Maybe your wife's having a bad day. Maybe you're having a bad day. Maybe you're both having a bad day. And you come home, and you say something to your wife, she doesn't say it back the way you thought she should. Or you say, why don't we do this? And she kind of throws you under the bus a little bit, you know. And at that point in time, at that very second in time, Mr. Spiritual Leader, you have a choice. You now can respond to the situation and realize as the spiritual leader, maybe she's having a bad day. And you say, well, I'm having a bad day too. Well, bad, good leaders, leaders, spiritual leaders aren't allowed to have bad days. Put it in your back pocket, put it in your knapsack, put it upstairs someplace. I don't know, but you ain't allowed to have it because you're supposed to lead. So you can't afford to have a bad day. But there you are. There I am. There we all have been. Right there, that line. 
You're standing there. You said something. You suggested something. You laid something out, and you got thrown under the bus. Nastily. Nastily? Nastily. Heck yeah, nastily. Bill O'Reilly ain't got nothing on me with them big words. He don't know what they mean either. Now you have a choice. You either respond to it biblically by applying the biblical principles, not going through that door of opportunity she just gave you. No, 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 no. She, she just, she, you went up with the nicest intentions. She's having a bad day. She dumped on you. And now here you are. You got two things to do. There's a big door just open. You can respond to it and say something like, yeah, you know, it's okay. I, you must, it's all right. No problem. Or, that's, or you react to it. And you, you, you react to it by various different ways. None of them are going to turn out good. <laughs> None of them. But you look for ways to get back at it. You say, you're gaining a little weight, aren't you? <laughs> That'll get you killed every time. That's World War III has now been declared. <laughs> you, 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 re- you react to it, you see. Now, I use that as an illustration because obviously this morning everybody knows what I'm talking about now. Sin in your life's the same way. It'll present you an opportunity and you have to respond to it or you have to react to it. And whether you respond or whether you react is whether you enter in or not. Whether you go in, it's just that simple. And he says, go not in. This is where the Bible principles come in. He says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Respond versus react. Let the principles overcome that cold slap in the face. I mean, I've been on, I've had, I've been on Bible study, not so much here, uh, all the time, but there's times of Bible study that I know somebody is saying, uh, not any of you people, somebody is a visitor, I know he's saying something or she's saying something just to try to get onto me, and I'll be smarter than that problem. Because I know my first reaction, honestly, my first reaction is to, to rip their throat out. And believe me, I could do it with the Bible without ever telling a hand on them. But that's my reaction, you see. My, my response uh, would be totally different. It would be, you know, giving them, coming at them from a different aspect. Many times you can disarm somebody that way better than going in and trying to kill them. But it's, a, it's the principles that guide you. One time somebody tried to divide me and my father and Lord Mel Sabaka. And he went to Mel and he said, Mel, do you know what Bob's saying about you? He said this, 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 and this. You know what old Mel said? He said, well, if Bob said it, it's probably true. <laughs> Where do you go with that? What do you do? See? And the Bible says, go not in the way of evil men. And this is the decision process. That at that point, when the opportunity is presented to you, you got to either respond or you got to react. This is why I hammer you with the aspect of learning biblical principles in everything that we do. When you receive and apply the principles, when, you, when, the, when the door of opportunity presents itself to enter in, then you don't. 
I, I get a GPS in my, in my car, the one you put on the deal there, and it's one of the more modern ones that you can actually, it, I don't know how it knows it, but it, it, it sets, the, it knows what the speed limits are. And when you're driving down the road, if you've got the voice up on it, uh, you're going and you get five miles, ten miles. You can set it for how much you want it over. And if you set it for like eight miles over, so you're pretty safe there, when you accidentally forget about eight miles over, <laughs> they don't give you a ticket, Bob, unless you're ten miles over. Uh-huh. Well, you live in Overton Park or over there in Kansas. I mean, they, 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 they don't let you get anything over there. Everything's illegal in Kansas. But anyway, <laughs> a little voice, a little voice will come on and say, warning, 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 and you know that you're, you know you got a you got a decision to make now. You either listen to that little voice, or that little lady in there, and I think somewhere in this world there's a 90-year-old lady that she just does that, makes those recordings, you know. But <laughs> she says, warning, 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 and you know to slow down. But you have a decision. One decision you slow down if you're smart. The next decision is if she annoys you so much, turn her off. Boy, wouldn't that be a great button to put on a wife? You basically, you basically, you either listen to the warning or you don't. Well, let me tell you something. When you hide the word of God in your heart and the biblical principles is what you put into your life, when that door of opportunity presents itself and the opportunity is there for you to go in, you know what the principles do? Warning, warning. Warning, warning, except you can't shut that button off. See? That's how it works. That's why I hit your hammy with biblical principles all the time. You listen to the warning, you don't go in. Do you know what Friday night and Saturday night is really to the world, and many Christians too, the big weekend? It's parties, it's get-togethers, it's happy hours, it's clubs, it's places you go late in the night and in the mornings. It's a hunt. Oh, yeah, man. It's a hunt on the prowl for an opportunity to enter into the path of wickedness. Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, the third thing he says is avoid it. Now, here again, avoid some things. Avoid the people. Avoid the places. Avoid putting yourself in a compromising situation. The importance of getting new friends once you get saved. In some cases, some of you had to get whole new families. Get around people who will edify you and not drag you back into the world of sin that you came from. And you'll get out there and you'll try to hang out with your friends now that you're a Christian and you'll go someplace and you'll try to do what's right. They'll make fun of you. And you're not strong enough to put a sharp stick in their eye, so you'll bend and you'll go along with it. I know how it works. Now, this is why, this is why some, so many people don't make it. But this, is, this is the total package of our church. Most people never see it. I had a sweet girl last night, and she's a nice girl, and, I, and this is no reflection on her because she's a very nice girl. And she's very impressed with our athletic program and what we do. She doesn't go to our church, and she pulled me aside last night, and she, she said, man, she says, how did you get all this started? How did you, how did all this come about? And, and she said, my church, my church is only runs about 200 and 250. And, and I like, she's thinking our church is 1,200. With all, I said, our church only runs about 250. We get everybody in the same place and hold a gun on them. I said, so it's a thing where it's, it's, we're about the same. We're about the same. 
And, and, and she, bless her heart, and I love her to death. And I understand where she's coming from. She thought just because you had a bunch of people and you went out and ran into gym that you could produce what we produce on, on, our, on our athletic ministry or on our, in our softball, in our volleyball. You see, it's not just about that. It's the whole package. You've got you to gotta, you gotta divine it so that when people are trying to get out of the world, that they can come to a place where they can meet some wholesome people that will love them, that will edify them. This is why I push new people to get into this, and that's why I get them, try to get them to come to all the things that we do and try to come to Thursday night and, and Sunday morning. And, 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 I, and, you know, and, I, and I'm telling you, I get them involved in, in volleyball, get them involved in discipleship and, and Sunday morning and one-on-one and softball and, and, and going over to Jason's Deli afterwards. You know, it's not about the fact that we're going to eat. It's the fact that we've got people who have come and trying to get out of the world that need new friends. They need somebody to sit with that's going to be wholesome for them. They need somebody in their life that's going to be edifying to them, not somebody that's going to drag them back. And I'll be honest with you, when somebody doesn't do that, they always go back to the world. I've had them not last three or four weeks and go back because they simply won't make that break. Because you become who you hang out with. And when you hang out with good people that edify you and strengthen you, you got a chance. When you avoid your old friends and avoid the old places, you avoid, uh, you know, your spiritual life will, uh, will depend on it. And, uh, you know, I've heard every excuse. Well, you know, I hang out with my old people because I feel sorry for them. That is a surefire thing. You're going back to the world. You got to make the break. You got to make the break. Don't think for a minute you're smart enough or strong enough to flirt with the old lifestyle. You'll lose every time. I mean, I've seen people that were on drugs. I've seen people who were deep in alcohol. I've seen people who were caught up in gambling and all of those things. You've got to follow the book of Judges. It's totally forsake and completely obey. You have, to, you have to follow what the Word of God says. Well, the fourth thing, pass not by it. Stay out of the neighborhood. One of the greatest stories in the Bible that illustrates this is found in the back of the book of Judges, chapter 14 and 16, in the story of Samson. Now, Samson is, a, is one of the great characters in the Bible, and I don't know if you know it or not, as screwed up as his life was, he's a picture of a Christian, and believe it or not, he's found in God's Hall of Fame over there in the book of Hebrews. But boy, he was a mess. He reminds me of so many of God's people I see today. He was a he-man with a she-weakness. And uh, he was somebody that went around flexing his muscles, you know, and thought he was something, but in reality, he was very weak. Very weak. Now, give you a little background. Samson was set apart for the Lord's service. In the Old Testament, they had a thing called a Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow is something a man would take when he had a task to perform for God. And all the time that he would follow that uh, vow, uh, he was put himself under, there were some things that he could not do. Now, this Nazareth, vow of Nazareth is found in Numbers chapter 6, and it talks about these are the things you have to do to maintain your separation to the Lord. First thing, he couldn't have anything off a vine tree. No grapes, no figs, no nothing off a vine tree. No grape juice, no nothing. Second thing is, he couldn't cut his hair. had to let his hair. That's why Samson's hair got so long. And the third thing that he couldn't do, he couldn't touch any dead body. Now, I wish I had time this morning to take those three to show you how they fit into what we shouldn't be messing with, but I don't have time to do it. 
But he goes one day, Samson, now he's a Nazarite now, got his hair growing pretty good, and, you know, he got to follow the line. But Samson was so many, like so many of God's people. Samson's always going to do it his way. First words out of his mouth. First words out of his mouth in the Bible is, I've seen a woman. <laughs> now, just because he had problems with women and you don't, don't let that discourage you. Whatever problem you have, you can replace what his problem was. Amen. It's showing us that, that Christians have a variety of problems in their life just typified by Samuel's one. Well, one day he goes down to see his woman. And he's bebopping down the road, can't wait to get there. And it's a long way down there, and so he sees across the way here that he can take a shortcut and save probably a half hour off his travels down there, and because he's in love with this woman. Now, you know how the song goes, when a man loves a woman, he'll take every shortcut in life. <laughs> Bring it on down to me now. All right. <laughs> so he's bebopping down the road, and he, he sees, he sees the, a shortcut through the vineyard of, of Tinian. So he starts to go through that shortcut because he's going to save some time. And lo and behold, there meeting him in that vineyard is a lion. Well, that lion's no problem for Samson. Samson takes that lion and rips him apart, kills him. Ah, now we got a problem. In killing that lion, Samson touched the dead body. Now he's broken the vow of the Nazarite. Now, the moral of the story is simply this. Now that he's touched the dead body and broken the law, he's got to go through a whole thing, but he doesn't do it. And Samson's life now is an absolute disaster personified. But it all started with this right here. And the moral of the story is simply this. The lion would have never been an issue if he would have passed by the vineyard. He was told not to have anything to do with anything off a grape. And when you think you're smart enough, strong enough that you can flirt with the things that God says you can't, that's where the lion will always meet you. Pass not by that former lifestyle. Stay out of the neighborhood. Then the fifth thing. Turn from it. Now, the real aspect of biblical repentance that you use all your Christian life is this concept. But here the problem with most churches and most pastors, uh, they will preach to their congregation to turn from the world, but they don't have anything to offer to replace the void when you give it up. And this is why so many people fail. It's easy to stand up here and for me to tell you that you need to give up the world, but if I don't have something for you, to replace what I'm asking you to give up, it ain't going to work. They're stupid enough to think that just because you go to church and listen to them preach that everything will be okay. Listen, if you have an addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol or whatever, you have to completely turn from it. The modern thing today in churches and Christian counselors is that they're all condoning social drinking. 
They talk about the fact that preachers and, and counselors talk about the fact that it's okay. If you, they, they, they classify drinking alcohol into three categories, users, abusers, and alcoholics. And the Christian pastor today, most of them, the Christian counselors today, almost all of them, will say, a lot of churches are really legalistic out there about this. The bottom line is, if you just be a user and never become an abuser, an alcoholic, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Now, may I throw in my two cents? It's going to be a quarter. (laughs) In 45 years of ministry, 45 years of ministry, in dealing with people into alcohol on all levels, I have never found an alcoholic drunk bum who was a souse, who was could not control anything about it, and it was a bona fide alcoholic. I've never found one who didn't argue with me that he wasn't just a user. You give human nature that door, brother, and you're in trouble. Now, you've heard me talk about long-term and short-term, haven't you? Let me ask you a question. How stupid pastors are today. Okay, if it's okay to soak a drink and you just become a user, how become when they legalize marijuana? Is it going to be okay just to be a user of that as long as you don't become an abuser? How are you going to get up and say you can take one drug, but you can't take... You see the hole you dig yourself in? Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. You're just better off to stay with what the Bible says instead of trying to get creative with things. Just take it for what it says. And whatever a person's problem is, Whatever it is, if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's whatever it is. You'll never get past it till you, one, see it for what it is biblically, and then, two, you hate it as much as God hates it, or you'll never get through with it. Until you do that, you'll never turn from it. You have to fill the void with the things of God 24-7. Put the new people in your life. Put the new programs in your life. Put everything in your life to fill that void. And when you will not do that, you'll burn out like most of them do two or three weeks. Then the sixth thing he says, pass away. Pass on it. People ask me all the time about work situations. You know, I, I get them all the time, and I appreciate it because they're sincere people. That, you know, they work someplace, and all the coworkers will invite you out after, after work, you know, on a Friday to go out, and, you know, and they all just kind of go to a bar someplace and have a social time, and you're part of the workforce, and, you know, you don't want to be a snob, but yet you don't want to drink, and so you find yourself in that kind of situation. I, I always tell them, I says, well, now you have, now you have two opportunities. Somebody invites you out if you decide to go, and somebody's there. You know what's going to happen. You're going to sit over here and not drink, and everybody else is going to be drinking. You know, you know that the, the, the big spotlight that they have for the floor show is going to suddenly come over on you, and they're going to I'm say, how come you're not drinking? Now, at this point, you have an opportunity. You can do one of two things. You can put your tail between your legs and be the coward and say, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I just don't drink. <laughs> That'll get you by. Or... You can simply say, you know what, 
that's just not my lifestyle. I love you folks, and I have a great time, and I'm here, you know, to be with you. But, uh, uh, you know, drinking never leads to anything in my life and never really wanted it. When I got saved, I got a new, you know, it's not the fact that I don't like spirits. I just don't have the same spirit that you're having. You're filled with one spirit. I'm filled with the other spirit. Okay? But I'm telling you, you've got to get to that point in your life where you, you pass it away. You pass on it. Uh, Romans 3.14 says you make no provision for the flesh. Ephesians 4.27 says you give no place to the devil. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, a new creature, old things are what? Passed away. Passed away. Pass away. It's passed away. It's gone. Pass on it. Why don't you do that? Because it's passed away in my life. That's why. You say, well, I don't want to make a mess. They're not going to like you anyhow unless you become one of them. Well, you might as well get it off quick and get it going. Now, the Bible's filled with great examples of these six admonitions. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, tells us to flee youthful lust, doesn't he? Joseph, back there in Genesis, when he was faced with Potiphar's wife, just same decision. He decided not to go through it. Daniel, in the, in, when he was down in Babylon in the book of Daniel, he had the opportunity to, nobody would have known, he could have justified everything he did, but he said Daniel purposed in his heart was not to file himself with the king's meat. Uh, my favorite one is Genesis chapter 14, verse 22. When Abraham is out there and they're having a battle, and in Genesis chapter 14, verse 22 to 24, the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, we know what that is. The king of Sodom comes out to meet Abram. And he comes down there and he offers all kinds of gifts to Abraham. The king of Sodom. You know what Abraham says? He says, you know what? I wouldn't take so much as a shoestring from you. He knew what Sodom was. He didn't want nothing to do with the world. Look at verse 16. For they sleep not except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause Someone to fall. A couple of things here. In other words, the party really doesn't begin until about one or two in the morning. No sleep till they've sinned to the fullest. And then they can go to sleep and sleep like a baby. You know why? Because that's a mark of a seared conscience. That's why. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says that somebody seared their conscience with a hot iron. They cauterized their conscience. Nothing bothers them anymore. That's why God's people can do what they do, go what they want to go, year after year after year, living a lifestyle. And we sit there and say, you come to church, you, you hear this, you hear that, your parents are saved. Why, why, why does nothing penetrate you? Because you have seared your conscience. Doesn't bother you anymore. Titus chapter 1, verse 15 says, even the mind and conscience is defiled. Now, how do you get to a place as a child of God that you have absolutely no conscience before God and what we do? It's easy. Just start hanging out with the wrong crowd and take their instruction over God's instruction and start walking in the council, start sitting with them, and then start becoming part of the scorning process. It'll all take care of itself. Note, it says they don't sleep till they cause someone to fall. Hey, there's people out there, brother, that will work 24-7 on you once they know you want to do what's right to get you to fall. One, they'll do it because that's what the devil uses them to do. Two, they want to do it because of the fact that they know that you're 
claim to be a child of God and probably are, trying to get your life right, and you cast a great shadow in their life because they don't. So in their minds, they try to get you to sin uh, so you'll be just like them so they don't have to feel any bad about what they do. I've seen brothers do that to sisters. I've seen sisters do that to brothers. I've seen some Christian friends, Christian couples do it to other couples. I met one couple in my life one time that was a Christian couple, and I believe they were. And I'll tell you what, any couple that got within 50 feet of them died spiritually. And then I've seen parents, oh, get with them, get with them. Oh, they're wonderful, they're wonderful. Oh, we have birthdays together. We have this, we have that. You're an idiot. You're a fool. They'll justify their conscience by getting other Christians to sin with them and then say, I'm okay. Look at verse 17. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Now, we saw this crowd all through Proverbs in our study so far. Proverbs 1.16 says, Their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Proverbs 1.10 said, My son, if sinners entice thee, consents thou not. Proverbs 1.15 said, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy feet from their path. Chapter 2 of Proverbs verse 14 says, Who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked. Chapter 2 verse 17 says, Which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forsaken the covenant of her God. And they make a royal party out of sin. And they'll try to take as many of God's people in it as they can. You are who you associate with. Then he begins to contrast in verse 18 and 19 this great passage by showing us the end result. Look at verse 18. The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Now there's the process I've been talking about of your spiritual growth. Every day of our lives when we walk with God and receive his instructions, apply his principles, we get brighter and brighter every day. Under a perfect day, that's when the Lord comes back. You get stronger and you get stronger. That's exactly what I gave you last week in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where it says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, under a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We grow up into Him. That's exact day by day, getting brighter and brighter, and then our final promotion to glory. A light in our life that every day gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and people see it. Now, verse 19, the great contrast. But the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Just as the child of God who follows the instructions of his father simply gets better and better and brighter and brighter, the child of God or the unsaved man who won't receive God's instructions, either salvation or the Christian lifestyle, only gets more into, or more into the darkness and he's more worse than he ever was before he got into it. The Bible says in John chapter 1, 5, that the light that shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. You can't get the two of them together. You simply get to the place where you don't even understand anymore why you continue to stumble in everything in your life. I've seen God's people, I believe they were saved, completely lose any moral compass that points them in their life toward the Word of God. The path of righteousness, the path of righteousness and the path of unrighteousness are so wide apart. One takes you constantly to God, the other one takes you constantly away from God. 
I've seen people that, Christians that were out here and they want to get right and they come back in and they get on that path for two or three weeks and then, boy, they're right back out to it again. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And let me say this. And you better listen to what I'm about to say. You can get so far down the wrong path that you'll never be able to find the right path again. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about you getting so far down the wrong path with your booze and your drugs and your carousing and all the things that, 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 that the world likes to do. You get so far down that path and so far away from God's path of righteousness that you can't, and there's nothing but wilderness in between. And boy, it starts out here and 30 years later, it's way out here and you're never going to get back. I deal with it all the time. You just can't because of where you've allowed yourself to go and who you've associated with. Now, in closing, and i got a few minutes left. We're going to be done early today. You'll be happy about that. Let me go back and talk about Samson for a minute in Judges chapter 14 and 16. You don't have to turn to it. You can just listen to me here. The end result of his life. I think Samson is probably the, the premier perfect picture of a Christian who is a God, child of God, who gets so far out in left field and goes his own way that he just can't ever get back. He's a perfect picture of it. And he's a perfect picture of what's going to happen to every child of God. And believe me, you may not see it because of your world and where you're at. I deal with it every day. I've dealt with it for 40 years, almost on a weekly, daily basis. My phone rings 20 times a day with problems that people are struggling and going through. And I look through this thing, boy, and I see the examples like this of Samson and the end result of his life. Here's a guy who took a vow to serve God and never accomplished one thing that he ever said he was going to do for God. He could never get the world out of his life. There was always something there that took precedent over what God it was, I'm going to go to a basketball game instead of go to Bible study. I was going to go to the here instead of come to church. Well, I was going to go do this with, with the church, but now this presented over here. He's just that kind of guy. He's always looking for an opportunity to never miss an opportunity not to be where God wants him to be. And he's a Christian in type. God's Hall of Fame. And when you look at his life and categorize your life, you'll find that there's three aspects to his life. And his sin. And it's the reason why he could never get back. And I don't know if you know the story or not, but he died a suicide. You may never die a suicide physically, but I guarantee you there's a hundred million of God's people out there this morning that have died a suicide spiritually. And they ain't ever getting back where God wants them to be. It's not that God won't let them and not that God doesn't want them. It's not God won't forgive them. It's the fact that when you put so much distance between you and God, He's not going to come looking for you. He did that the day of salvation and you stuck, stuck a sharp stick in His eye. You're going to have to come get Him now. He'll come get you to get saved. You're going to have to find your way back after you get saved when you give Him the stick, so to speak. And when you look at Samson, you see exactly what happens in our lives. When it all came down to an end in his life, when he had went through a lifetime and God finally said, that's it, this guy was supposed to be a Nazarite unto me, I had a job for him to do, and all he did was live his life and do what he wanted to do. 
he let the Philistines take him. The Philistines, who he thought were his friends, wound up in the end deceiving him. And the world that you think is your friend today is going to wind up deceiving you. And those Philistines took him and they put his eyes out. That's very instructive to me because when you live a lifestyle outside the things of God and you just keep going your own way, you know what sin does? Sin blinds you. He couldn't see the things of God anymore. The world had blinded him. And the world will take you when you give yourself to it and you go on that path of unrighteousness. And just like Samson, the world will put your eyes out and they'll, they'll blind you to the things of God. You know the next thing they did? They took ropes and chains and they wrapped them around him. And they bind him. Now not only could he not see anything, he couldn't move. He was bound by the chains of Babylon. He was bound by the fetters and the ropes of the world system. And when a child of God goes so far in that path of unrighteousness, the reason why they can't get back is because the world puts your eyes out. And then they bind you. They bind you and you can't move. Then the last thing they did, after they put his eyes out and they bound him up, they put him on a grinding wheel. And for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, he was destined to go around in a 12-foot circle pushing an 800-pound grinding stone. That's a picture of your life being a dead-end street at the end of the path of unrighteousness. What future is there in that? About as much future in your life going the way God's people go. In a circle all of his life, the rest of his life, bound to that, that wheel, Blinded, not seeing anything. All he could hear was the world that he thought was once his friends. The Philistines, who he used to party with and drink with and hang out with. Now they're laughing at him, making sport of him. He's naked, grinding a wheel, blind and bound. The aristocracy of heaven, a child of God, naked. Before the world being mocked, chained, blind to a grinding wheel. The aristocracy of heaven. This is why so many of God's people who think they can play with God and do their own thing with God and forsake the path of righteousness and go down. This is why you get into alcohol and you cannot get out. This is why you get into drugs and after a while you can't get shed of them. This is why you get into the world and you go that way and you try to get back. You want to get back, but you can't. You've been blinded. You've seared your conscience and now you're bound to the world and you're going to grind the rest of your life. Naked, blind, Chained to the grinding wheel of this old world for the sport and the merriment of all the world who now laughs at you. The child of God. Your sin will wind up grinding away your life and in time take all the joy out of your life 
and anything in all of a relationship that you could ever have with God. And I leave you with three things out of Samson's life that go down the path of unrighteousness. It's the fact that sin will blind you. It's the fact that sin will bind you. And it's the fact that sin will grind you. The two simple life choices. The two simple choices of life. There may be a hundred thousand jobs of opportunities and careers you may follow, but at the end of the day, from a Bible standpoint, there's only two paths you're going to go on. You're going to go on the one of righteousness, or you're going to go on the one of right, right, unrighteousness, and there is no middle ground in between. One will bless you and give you the desires of your heart. The other one will deceive you and blind you and bind you and grind you. And Samson wound up a suicide. I don't think that most of God's people today that are this condition will ever go out and probably commit suicide. Some probably will. But you don't have to commit physical suicide. I've seen many, many, many of God's people who have committed spiritual suicide. They've come to the point where God can no longer use them because you have used and abused and you just can't get back and you'll never now in your life because of the path you've been on for so long and so far ever be able to get back. It has absolutely nothing to do with God not able to forgive you, God able to cleanse you, God able to wash you in His blood as a sinner through your daily sins. It has the problem that you're so far out you will not let yourself get back. You have destroyed every conscionable thing in your life. Your booze, your drugs, your lifestyle is a delight to you. Where we get delighted on Thursday night about getting into the Bible and studying it or on Sunday morning and getting it down, you get delighted in the things that you want to do that have nothing to do with God. That's where it's at. And that's where it ends. path of righteousness, the path of unrighteousness. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you.